Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. Why did you cut off half the right thigh before we put the turkey in the oven? And she says, oh, you know, that, that's what my family does for good luck. You know, we, we always cut off half the right thigh. It's our good luck tradition. And then he thinks about it, like, oh, okay. But then the mother, she hears this, and she's like, that's not why we do it. We're Christians. We believe in God. So the first slice goes to God. That's why we do it. <laughs> Grandma's like, what is this nonsense? Grandma pipes up, and she's like, no, no, no. The reason we do it is because The right thigh is where all the bacteria settles in the turkey. And we cut it off for health reasons. Great grandma. Shocked and in disbelief at the confusion going on at the table. Stands up and says, Your great grandfather and I, when we were first married, were very poor. We couldn't afford a lot of things. And the only oven we can afford was this big. So we had to cut off the right thigh in order to make it fit. Everyone laughs because one person does it for this reason, another person does it for this reason, another person does it for that reason. I share this story at the start of the message because I want to caution us about fasting. Because fasting can be something that we take part in and do without really knowing why we do it. One person can do it for good luck. Another person could do it for religious reasons. Another person could do it because they want to lose weight during this year. Many people fast for different reasons. And so I wanted to share on why we fast. Fasting is a Christian tradition that dates all the way back to the time of Moses. Fasting is an expected part of the Christian life. I mean, it's something we've been doing for thousands of years. And because we've been doing it for so long... We can get mixed up in why we do it. The early church, the early church in the first century, fasting was a staple of Christian life and growth. People were actually encouraged to fast twice a week. Twice a week. On Wednesdays and Fridays, they were encouraged to fast from sunup to 3 p.m. Twice a week is what they did in the early church. That's ridiculous. The church fathers said that a Christian cannot mature. A Christian cannot grow apart from fasting. They said that, the church fathers said that, hey, if you want to mature as a Christian, you got to fast. If you don't fast, you won't mature. You'll be stunted. You'll be, I don't want to say the word midget. I'm sorry I said it, but, you know, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be less than not a full-grown Christian, okay? Not that midgets are not full-grown people, okay? They're full-grown people. I mean, not just, you know what I'm saying. Midgets are fully people, okay? Early church encouraged people to fast twice a week. Church fathers said you can't grow apart from fasting. And by the 6th century, fasting was mandated. At the council during the 6th century, they mandated every Christian to fast. And with the regulations came the repercussions of legalism. Because now fasting became something we have to do. Something that we just do for form or religious sake or or to check off our boxes. Yet for all its abuses and misunderstandings, 
fasting in its proper form and practice is and still is a method of spiritual growth that cannot be duplicated. That's how important fasting is. John Calvin and Martin Luther, I'm getting deep into the history, right? John Calvin and Martin Luther, the reformers of the Protestant faith, the great reformers encouraged every member in the congregation to fast regularly. John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards, the founders of the Methodist Church, told every one of their members to fast, and everywhere they evangelized, they proclaimed people to fast. It was said that John Wesley would not ordain a pastor that did not fast twice a week. Could you imagine that? I don't know if I would be a pastor if I lived back then. Fast twice a week. That's what it takes to get ordained. Friends, it's my hope that through this message, fasting would become a staple in our life. That it would be a part of our our natural walk. It would be part of our testimony here at Rooftop. Not just for the first week of the year, but for the rest of our lives. That fasting would be a continual endeavor. And for fasting to become that ingrained in our life, we have to know why we do it. We have to know why we need to do it and what are the benefits of it, okay? So first on my list is that we fast when we need the mercy of God. The reason why we fast is because we need the mercy of God. I'm not just talking about general mercy, general grace. Yes, I understand that. You know, we all need the mercy of God every day, every moment of our life. But when I say the mercy of God, I'm talking about in those moments of life when we drop the ball. You know, that that catastrophic mistake that we make and we need the mercy of God. I'm talking about the mercy of God in the sense that, hey, if God doesn't show up here, we're doomed. It's over. You might as well just give up. That's the kind of mercy I'm talking about. The critical moments in life that can change the trajectory of our course. Think of Ezra, for example, okay? Ezra, one of the great scribes in the Old Testament. He knew the word of God. He taught the law of God. He could recite the word of God. He was articulate, well-spoken, well-read, well-educated. He was a scribe during the time of exile when the, the people of God were in Babylon. Not only that, he was a priest from the line of Aaron, okay? His great, 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 great all the way up is Aaron, the first priest. So he has the education, he has the prestige. And when he was in uh, Babylon, which became Persia, in exile, because of his high rank and, and status, he stood before the king. And during this time, Because of his wisdom and dedication to God, and because of God's favor, during that time of exile, the king looked upon him and granted him incredible access and mercy and favor. He was able to lead a people of God back to the promised land to rebuild it. And not only that, the king blessed him abundantly. The king partnered with him in doing that. The king put into the pocket of Ezra, I mean, not his pocket, but into his care, 24 tons of silver. 24 tons, okay? When Ezra said, I want to go back and rebuild the promised land, rebuild the temple of God, the king's like, I'm with you. You know what? I'm going to give you 24 tons of silver. That's about the size of a fire truck, okay? Just think of a fire truck made out of silver. That's how much silver he gave him. 
He gave him 7,500 pounds of gold. This is tons and tons of financing for his operation. He gave him oil. He gave him saw. He gave him food, lumber, timber. He gave him all the things that he needed. And then, right before he's about to go on this journey, this 900-mile journey on the way back, he does something very special, something very particular. If you look in Ezra 8, 21 and 22, it reads this. Then I, speaking uh, Ezra, he says, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek him, seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. Okay, very humble person, right? You know, it's like when before we go on a retreat, we're in the parking lot, we gather, what do we do? We get in a circle, we hold hands, and we pray, right? Ezra, very holy person, took it a step further. He's like, no, we're not going to just pray, we're going to fast. So they fasted and prayed there before they go on this 900-mile trip. But it makes me wonder, why did he fast? Did he not have enough faith just to pray and trust in God? Look at what verse 22 says. <coughs> for I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. So we, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him and the power of his wrath against all who forsake him. I don't know if it was because of faith or because of pride that he didn't ask for protection. But what I do know is that the word ashamed is a negative word. It's saying that he didn't ask for protection because he had boasted about God's protection. He was ashamed to ask. He felt shame upon his life to ask for protection. In other words, he got to the place of the journey, to the starting point, and he realized something here. He realized we have tons of silver. We have tons of gold. We have all this money and supply. On this 900-mile journey, we are susceptible to bandits, to, to, to raiders, to enemies of the people of God to come and destroy us and take away this stuff. We didn't ask for soldiers to protect us because I already said that God would protect us. And so if God doesn't come, I'm dead. Our people are dead. Our children are dead. Our material possessions will be stolen. And so he fasts because he needs the mercy of God. This is what I'm talking about when I say we fast because we need the mercy of God. It's not because, oh, we made a mistake. It's not because, oh, we just dropped a small ball here. We fast because this is life and death. It's a catastrophic error. Why would you go 900 miles into enemy territory to get back to your land and not ask for soldiers? He made a critical error, friends. And in that place of error, he realized that I need the mercy of God. I need his grace. I need his protection. I need him like I've never needed him in my life. And because of that, he fasts. Friends, 
Fasting is not just something we do half-heartedly. It's something that comes out of a deep sense of anguish and need because we need his mercy. And if we don't get it, we're done for. That's why we fast. I think of the time of Jonah. When Jonah went to Nineveh and he preached three days and the Lord will, will destroy the city. And in Nineveh chapter 3 verse 6 it reads, The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let, man, let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, taste anything. In other words, he proclaimed a fast for animals, for people. He stopped the economy. He stopped life. He stopped everything that the whole city was doing, and he proclaimed the fast. Taste it. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Fasting and praying, fasting and petitioning. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When the king of Nineveh heard about the coming judgment, he realized that he needed the mercy of God. Because of their lifestyle, because of their mistake, because of the, the foolishness of their violence in their hand, he realized that he needed mercy like he never needed it before. So much so that he shut down the whole city. Friends, this is why we fast, because we're in need of the mercy of God. We're in desperate need of it. Yes, sometimes we go through life, we make mistakes. But sometimes we go through life and we make those cataclysmic mistakes, don't we? Where it's like the worst mistake we ever made this past year or decade. And we realize and we, the Holy Spirit reminds us we need his mercy. And if it doesn't happen, we're doomed. It's not fasting out of fear, but fasting out of our finitude. We are finite creatures in need of God's mercy every day. We need him. And we need his special touch of grace, his special touch of mercy. As Psalm 127 sums it up, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrents would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken. We have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. If it had not been for God, is what the psalmist says. If it had not been for his mercy, if it had not been for his protection, if it had not been for his strong hand to provide for us, to take care of us, to watch over us, we would have been swept away. Friends, we are always in need of the mercy of God, and this is why we fast. Because we need his mercy for our life. And without it, we would have been swept away. You know, Last time I was in Vegas, we went to a Circus Soleil show. Maybe not last time. Maybe it was last, last time. Ha has anyone, raise of hands, has anyone been to a Circus Soleil show? 
Yes, yes, yes. It is amazing, is it not? It's just, <coughs> it's just wild what they're able to do. When I went, there's this guy that, that um, it was like a projector, and he did some stuff with the sand, and he would draw, like, people and a town and a city and, like, a bus moving. And, and I, I don't know, he just did all kinds of imagery with his hand and just sand and making pictures on the wall. At the, at the end of the show, there's this other thing where it was like a big old hamster wheel. It has to be at least 100 feet tall. I don't know. It was huge, huge hamster wheel, right? And, and this hamster wheel, this person was, there's people on the inside of it doing stuff. And there was a person on the top of it just running like a hamster on the outside of the hamster wheel. He was doing a, a jump rope. He was doing backflips. He was doing all kinds of crazy stuff, hundreds of feet in the air. And, and at that moment, I realized, like, wow, people are really amazing. The stuff that we can accomplish, the stuff that we can do. Sending people to the moon, if you believe in it. I mean, it's amazing. I, I mean, I, I believe it. You know, I don't think it's a, a conspiracy theory, but I believe it. Sending people to the moon. I mean, what people can accomplish is amazing, is it not? But apart from the mercy of God. Though we can send someone to the moon, so even though we can cure possibly cancer in a couple years, I don't know, we're, we seem very close. Even though we can draw sand art with our fingers, even though some guy can jump around on a hamster wheel 100 feet in the air with a jumping jack and, and, and do backflips, even though we can do all of that, friends, apart from the mercy of God, cannot take one step towards God. We cannot take one step towards salvation. We cannot take one step towards saving ourselves. This is how desperate we are in need of him. This is why we need the mercy of God. Out of all the great things that we can do and accomplish, we cannot receive the mercy of God apart from it. It comes at his work. It comes at his hand. It comes at his favor. And so we fast. Seeking it because we are in need of his mercy. Okay, second thing. Second thing on my list of the reasons of why we fast is because we need a win from God. We need a win from God at times. You know, there are victories in life that only God can provide. Obstacles that only God can overcome. And in those moments, we realize we need God for the victory and we fast. For example, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. He was a good king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah, he messed up here and there and got into some trouble. But for the most part, he was a good king who did good in the eyes of God. His reign was one of peace and prosperity. However, in 2 Chronicles 20, these people come and attack him. In 2 Chronicles 20, it reads, After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Mennonites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judea. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. During his reign, of peace and prosperity. Enemies came. They grouped together. 
the enemies surrounding him came and they banded together and a great horde came against him. He did not have the army to defeat them. He did not have the, the machinery and equipment to win. And in light of this unsettling loss that was coming against him, he realized that if we're going to win, it's going to be by the hand of the Lord. If we're going to defeat our enemies, it's going to be by the hand of the Lord. If we're going to see victory, it's going to be because God provided. And because of that, he proclaimed a fast. Friends, we fast because we need the mercy of God. But also we fast because in life, there are some victories that only God can provide. You know, yeah, there, there's some things that we can overcome, but there's some things in our life that we just can't simply overcome, is there not? It could be a habit that we've built up over the years. It could be a, a sin that we've nurtured for X amount of years that we keep falling prey to. No matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, we always seem to fall into this error right here. Friends, there are things that we can overcome, but there are things that can only be overcome by the grace of God, by the work of God. Some of us might look at our lives and look in the mirror and think, I've tried. I've tried for years. I've tried. I've tried to overcome this sin. I've tried to overcome this, 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 this mistake. And no matter what I do, there's no victory here. And we can look at ourselves in the mirror and think, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen by the grace of God. It's going to happen because God gives me the victory. It's going to happen because God's favor and mercy comes upon my life. <clears throat> and it's in those moments when the Holy Spirit convicts us with such passion and grace that we fast. Fasting for victory does not limit our work. It does not limit our responsibility to do what is right. But it places the proper lighting of God's work. For example, this past, last two weeks, because I was preaching on fasting, I went around to everyone I knew, or a lot of people I knew, and I asked, how often do you fast? No surprise here, you know, pastors, teachers, lay leaders, just regular church people, they don't. Nobody fasts. Everyone here at Rooftop fasts once a year, yes, okay? But, but generally speaking, people don't fast. I only met one person that fasted, fasted somewhat regularly. This elementary pastor would fast when there's a need. When someone got super sick, when someone got super ill, when VBS came along, they would fast. And I, I was kind of interested because I'm like, when VBS comes every year, they would fast. I'm like, why do you fast? And they told me, we prepare well. You know, we set up well, we prepare well in advance, you know, months ahead of time. You know, we get the education, we get the teachers, we get the programs, we get everything set. But the reason they fast is because no matter how much we prepare and do, only God can give us the win. There's a limitation to what we can accomplish. We are limited. When we did youth joint youth retreats, we would do a, a fasting chain for 30 days before the retreat. You know, a person would take breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and for 30 days we would fast. The leaders would fast. Not, not for 30 days straight, but, you know, a, a meal at a time. Why? 
Because we knew that no matter how much we prepared, no matter how much we, we, uh, how much we prepared, how much we, we uh, did everything, we knew that if God didn't show up, if God didn't provide, if God's grace didn't pour out upon the retreat, it would have been for nothing. Friends, we fast when we need a win from God that only God can provide. In life, there are things that we can overcome by the grace of God. And there are some things that we can only be accomplished through fasting. You know, there's a time when Jesus was walking on the earth that the disciples were going around casting out demons. And then this one father brought his son to, this, to the disciples to ask them to be healed. But the disciples couldn't do it. And so they brought the boy to Jesus, and Jesus casted out the demon. And later on, the disciples asked, how come we couldn't do it? You gave us the power. You gave us the grace. You gave us the anointing to do it. How come we couldn't cast out this one demon? Jesus replies that the disciples in Matthew 17, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, verse 21, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Friends, there's things that we can do and prepare and be responsible for, but there's things that we cannot overcome that only is possible through fasting and praying. This is why we fast. When we can't overcome something, when we can't get victory, we can't find a win, when we need God to win for us, that's when we fast. Finally, third thing on my list is that we fast because we want to grow. We fast because we want to grow. We fast because we want to grow and to mature and no longer be Infants in the faith, tossed by everyone to seceed. Fasting is the classroom of spiritual growth. Okay, it's like when we went to college, we learned a lot of things, right? Reading, writing, um, numbers, math. I, I don't know, whatever field you're in. You went to school, you got a degree for that, right? You got an education, you have a certificate. But when you go to work, very different, right? You have to learn how to work. You have to learn how to do your job. You have to need on-the-job training. That's what fasting is. Friends, if you want to grow, you have to fast because in fasting, it's on-the-job training. It's on-the-job practice in our Christian walk. Fasting is where the fruit of the Spirit gets on-the-job training. For example, last time I fasted, last time I fasted, my friends called me early in the morning, said one word, tacos and I don't know about you but whenever anytime someone says to me tacos it's an automatic yes I can't say no it doesn't matter what's going on in my life it doesn't matter where I'm at if someone says tacos I say yes and when I was fasting this was early on I saw it and I'm like oh but I'm fasting I have to say no but but I'm like but I just started so maybe I can and then I started to think, like, oh, you know, th these friends of mine, they don't go to church, so it's more of an evangelistic opportunity, right? 
I'm like kind of like bartering with God, like, God, this is for your kingdom, right? I have to say no. You have to learn self-control in fasting. You have to say no to going out with friends. You have to say no to watching movies. You have to say no to taking part in everyday activities that we normally do. Where else are we going to learn self-control, friends? Where else are we going to learn the fruit of patience? Saying no to something. Fasting is where we grow and where we mature. And fasting is where we put into practice, seek first the kingdom of God. When we fast, we're not fasting and going out with our friends into the movies. When you fast, we're praying. We're reading the Bible. We're worshiping. We're saying no to these things and seeking first the kingdom of God. This is why the the church fathers said that you cannot grow and mature in faith apart from fasting. Fasting is the classroom of faith. Fasting is the -the on-the-job training to mature as a Christian, to learn to say no to our worldly desires, to say no to our hungers and our physical necessities so that we can say yes and draw near to God. It's in times of fasting that we become patient and seek God. As Troy Palumaulu said, my favorite football player, I mean, he's not my favorite. I actually like Heinz Ward because he's half Korean. But, you know, Troy is on the Steelers also, so, you know, he gets a pass. Troy Palumalu. You know this guy fasts? I didn't know this until I started researching. But he fasts regularly. And he said this, I have read the Bible many times, but after fasting, it's like reading a whole new Bible. You see the death behind the words with so much more clarity. Friends. Fasting is how we grow, how we mature, and how we become stronger Christians. We fast because we need the grace of God. We fast because we need a win that only God can provide. But we also fast because we want to grow. I don't know about you, but I don't know how much we grew in 2023. But if we're in the same spot in 2024... One thing I could say is we probably did not fast. I'm just throwing this out here. Once a month, pick like the first Monday of every month or the first, you know, Tuesday of every month. Just once a month. Put fasting into practice. See what it's like to say no to physical hunger, to social events. And say yes to God. I was thinking of, of, of Pastor Scott's sermon illustration last week when he started eating the banana. You got to eat it. You got to eat and try it, put it into practice to know how good it is. You know, fasting is something that will revitalize and develop our lives more than any other Christian practice. So next year, pick one day out of the month. And try for a whole year. That's 12 times. Okay? I'll throw out a physical one, okay? A very low-hanging low fruit is that if you do this, you'll probably lose weight, okay? And, and all of us could lose weight. I, I definitely could lose weight, okay? So that's a low-bearing fruit right there, okay? If you do this 12 times a year, you'll, you'll lose some weight. But you'll also see some spiritual benefits. You will receive the mercy of God. 
You will find victory that only God can provide. And you will watch yourself grow and mature in Christ. As the worship team comes to lead us out, I want to close with this story. There was a famous, uh, a famous farmer who was known as the quickest plower in his town. He was the fastest plower before machines and everything. He could plow a field like nobody else could in that town. And his fame spread throughout the towns. And in, a ta- in the next town over, a young buck heard about this old man who could plow faster than anyone else in the town. So he grabs his plow and he goes over to the town and he challenges the old man. He says, old man, I could plow way faster than you this field. And the old man says, okay, tomorrow at sunup we'll start. And so the young man gets a good night's rest. The old man gets a good night's rest. And the next morning at sunup, you know, they start plowing the field to see who could plow it faster. And so as they first start off, they're kind of neck and neck. You know, the young buck is a little bit ahead of the old man, but the old man is not far behind. But as the old man gets to the end of the first row that he plowed, he sits down on the ground and takes a quick five-minute rest. And the young man looks over. He's like, what are you doing? And the old man says, I'm resting. And the young buck is furious. How dare you take a rest? You don't think you have to give it your all. You don't think you have to try your best. You don't think you have to put in every minute of effort into this walk. And so the young buck is furious, and he starts plowing again the next row, and the next row, and the next row. And sure enough, the old man, after he plows one row, another five-minute rest. After he plows another row, takes another five-minute rest. Hours pass by, and the old man finishes ahead of the young man. And the young guy could not realize, why did this happen? How did this old man beat me? He even took a five-minute break at the end of every row. And so he goes up to the old man. He's like, old man, how'd you beat me? I'm younger, I'm faster, I'm stronger, and I put in more effort and time than you. How did you beat me in this race? And the old man turns to me and says, Every time I finished a row, I took a five-minute rest, and I sharpened my plow. The reason I beat you is not because I was stronger, faster, or put in more effort and work. It's because I sharpened my plow after every row. Friends, when we fast, we are sharpening our plow. We are going to God to have our plows sharpened. When we rest and we go to God, we're being restored. We're being renewed. When we fast, we are going to God and resting in his protection, in his providence. We're laying aside our works, our strength, our abilities, our talent, and we're going to the Father saying, I need your mercy, I need your grace, I need your touch, I need your victory, I need you in my life, oh Lord. It is my hope and prayer for us here at Rooftop that this coming year we will fast like never before, finding rest and grace in the Lord, finding mercy in his presence, finding victory that only he can provide so that we may grow up faithfully in the Lord. It is my hope that we would pray and fast and fast abundantly, that it would become a staple of our life, that we can learn the secret of fasting that for generations past Christians have done that we have lost in our 
day and age. Father, give us your grace. Holy Spirit, stir our hearts to faith this day, to know fasting, to know you, to know the joy that this discipline provides, to know the sweet strength that can be found in fasting, to lay aside our endeavors and our abilities and our work and come to you to be refreshed. Teach us, Holy Spirit, what it means to fast, to find our rest in you, and to find our strength in you. Teach us, O Lord, the joy of fasting that for generations before us knew that we may be victorious in you in this coming year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.